Today's episode is brought to you by Primetime Sports Talk, your top source for all major sports content, including DFS, fantasy advice, and great gambling tips. Be sure to head to primetimesportstalk.com to check out their in-depth analysis, exclusive articles, fascinating interviews, and explore the rest of their amazing podcast family. Again, primetimesportstalk.com, your go-to spot for sports content. Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Talk Show. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. What a week of sports we have to catch up on. Uh, let's get in right to it because we got a lot to talk about and not a whole lot of time. First and foremost, congratulations. The Georgia Bulldogs, they finally did it. They won the national championship, the first national championship since 1980. And uh, congrats to Stetson Bennett. The first QB in Nick Saban's career that is an average quarterback to below average, to beat him in a national championship. Actually, if you, you take out uh, Cardell Jones, who's really on a heater, uh, outside of him, Stetson Bennett's the first non-generational quarterback that was playing at an all-time, all-caliber level in college to beat uh, Nick Saban in a neutral field in general. I mean, if you look at it, in the national championship, he's only really been beaten by, he's been beaten by Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick, Deshaun Watson, who uh, was on a Hall of Fame path before he decided to get a little grabby, and, uh, you know, we don't have to get into that, but he's no longer playing anymore. But you look at those two, generational talents, and then going through it, the other guys that have beaten him, it's really been Tim Tebow, who's one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time, and Johnny Manziel, who was also, I mean, say what you want about his pro career, but in college is one of the, best quarterbacks in college at the time so uh what Stetson Bennett was able to pull off was really remarkable and just his story from being a uh community college transfer uh to a fifth string quarterback when he walked on to get there and I mean you saw all the emotion from him so congratulations to him now this is what I really want to talk about here because on uh Sunday we had an instant the day before the national championship national championship was a good game we, we had an instant classic between the uh, Raiders and the Chargers I mean you know the situation by now if the uh, the winner got in the playoffs um loser would go home and then if it was a tie uh the Steelers would not make it both teams would make it so uh, of course, it goes down to overtime. Uh, Raiders have a chance uh, to kick, or they're winding down. They have a chance to tie it. It looks like it's winding down. Brandon Staley calls a timeout, uh, and then the Raiders decide to kick a field goal. Uh, they end up winning the game. The Chargers go home. So Brandon Staley's been getting criticized a lot this week, um, and so a lot of people bring up that timeout there. I wouldn't even bring up the timeout. I think where he should be criticized, and this is where I've criticized him all season long, is the dumbassery to go for it on uh, fourth and two, uh, early and then there's instances where he's in the red zone and they don't take points i mean this man's been doing this all year long with his analytics and and whatnot and everyone's like, oh you know what they've won a lot of games because of it they've pissed away so many games because of stupid coaching decisions like that on him especially in the first half say you pick up that fourth and two at your own 18 yard line what is it really gaining you there you still have to go 80 yards on the field to get a touchdown if you picked up that first time so the next game really wasn't that great Mind you, they only ended up giving three points out of that, but look how many points they lost by. Three. So, you know, the analytics, people can say whatever they want, but, I mean, that, that was dumb. And there's interesting, too, against the Kansas City Chiefs earlier this year. Uh, they had a chance to take the points early in the game a couple times, and they didn't. And it came back to Kawhi them. I am all for early in the game. You have a chance, you take the points. You know, you watch Nick Saban on that Monday night game, the national championship. They have the same thing. And he has uh, a great quarterback in his own right. It's kind of similar. 
you know, both co- both coaches have an excellent talent at quarterback. You know, Justin Herbert uh, in the one, and uh, Bryce Young in the other. Um, and Nick Saban has a chance. They're, you know, fourth, fourth down, they're in the red zone. He kicks a field goal. And now, I know what the results were at the end, but that wasn't really because of the points. But, like, I think Brandon Staley could learn a thing or two from one of the greatest college coaches of all time. If you're in the red zone early in the game, you take the points. Always. And I know the result didn't work out for Alabama, but, like, it wasn't the reason they lost. Like, they were able to stay in that game a long time, uh, especially against a good defense, because they're taking the points. Brandon Staley pisses away points. They're using all these analytics. Like, you know, with these analytics, people don't tell you. I, I think they'd fail to factor in what the weather is. Uh, how the other team's playing at defense. You know, there's so much that goes into it that numbers can't really, like, tell. And he's going off of that. It, it's horrible. And then even that timeout they called late in the game, he called that timeout. And he, you know, I understand. Honestly, I don't criticize him for calling the timeout because I understand what's going to happen. The Raiders are going to run another play, probably get into field goal range. So, like, you want to make sure they weren't going to get in field goal range. You saw how they were lined up and wanted to stop him fine. But he's a defensive-minded head coach. Like, that's his side of the ball. What is the worst part of the Chargers right now? Their defense, specifically the run defense. And that's the thing he was brought in to fix. He was a defensive head coach. His side of the ball stinks. That's a problem. That's like with the Bears in Chicago. You know, Matt Nagy was brought in as an offensive coach. The offense is horrible. Like, that's a red flag right there. So not only is he pissing away points, he doesn't take the points early in the game, which I'm a big believer. You always take the points early in the game. You get a chance to kick a field goal, you take it. But he's going for it on fourth down in his own 18. Costs him three points. Doesn't kick field goals when he needs to. And then when they call a timeout to fix the defense at the end, he doesn't. And so I think that was stupid. I think Brandon Staley could learn a thing or two from Nick Saban in that game. They were both similar situations. And like I said, for Nick Saban, you realize, yes, overall they winded up losing the game. But they were in that game for the most part. And it was not because, you know, they they couldn't get the points there. Especially when you got Justin Herbert. You're going to get other opportunities. Hell, they wouldn't have even been in that spot if they beaten the Chiefs earlier in the year when they didn't go for it on fourth down on the opening kickoff, and like, get stopped like three times. They left nine points off the board, and they wound up losing in overtime. Stupid. 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 So this is why when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, they're going to be watching the playoffs on the couch once again, and they're going to ask themselves why. It's going to be because of Brandon Staley. He needs to look up in the mirror and, you know, quit taking advice from all these nerds. Like, stop. Analytics are stupid. Look how the analytics work out for the Oakland A's. How many, how many World Series have they won? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know. You can bring these, these these nerds that you can't strap on the pad. Oh, you're gonna do that. And now listen, I'm all for some numbers here and there, but certain situations you go for it. I'm I'm for I'm pro math. The math would have said if you would have taken three points, or you would not have given up three points there by going for it on fourth and two, you you wouldn't have lost by three. So how how, how are those analytics for you? All right. Speaking of stupid decisions, Brian Flores he got canned by the Miami Dolphins. One of the more surprising moves, I think. Most of the moves that happen coaching wise. We pretty much saw coming. Matt, I mean, Matt Nagy, we knew was coming for a while. Matt, Matt, Mike Zimmer, pretty uh, pretty obvious. Texans just fired their head coach today, David Cole. And honestly, I don't really think he should have been fired. Like, who, who is he working with? But, you know, what are you going to do? They want to go in a different direction. That was kind of a rebuilding year. Uh, but Brian Flores gets fired after, one, I think he turned around a pretty good culture. Like, the first year he was in Miami, uh, that was a bad team. They had people quitting, like, the first week of the season because they thought it was going to be some complete rebuild. He ended up rallying them. They won five games. And it was a team that had no business winning five games. Not a whole lot of talent. And the next two years, he nearly dragged Tua to the playoffs. And we've seen Tua how limited he is. Uh, and then this year, you know, after starting one and six, did that team quit on him? No, they kept battling. They were, once again, a game away from making the playoffs here. They would finish with their winning record at nine and eight. I mean, he's an excellent coach. The players really like him. Uh, and unlike... Uh, Brandon Staley, his side of the ball is taken care of. 
He's brought in to be a defensive guy. He's a Belichick uh, assistant. Look at their defense. It's always solid. So he's got his side of the ball right. The one thing they were missing was a quarterback. And now uh, this is where the Dolphins are stupid. And this is where egos in sports, you know, sometimes you got to check your ego at the door. Because apparently he was fired by all reports because he was arguing with the general manager. Uh, they were button heads. He didn't get along with Tua very well. And basically his, re his relationship with the ownership and, and the general manager in the front office there uh, kind of deteriorated. That's why they got rid of him. Well, also apparently, according to other reports, one of the reasons too was so bad to begin with, head coach, Brian Flores, he wants to draft Justin Herbert. He said, hey, let's draft Herbert, let's draft Herbert. They didn't. They'd take Tua. Well, look how it panned out for both of them. Tua's limited. I would argue he's one of the reasons they haven't made the playoffs because he's just dinking and dunking everywhere. Justin Herbert, generational talent, looking good. If the Dolphins had Justin Herbert, that'd be a Super Bowl contender. Like, I mean, let's be honest here. So yeah, I think... When he's sitting there watching, he's doing everything he can for this team, and he sees two on a weekly basis in practice. He's injury prone. He can't throw a ball downfield, uh, and he's limited. I think he'd be frustrated too. It's so uh, you know he's coach. They got all got egos. If you're the Dolphins ownership, though, you know you made a mistake when you fire a guy, and immediately the person you fire becomes the number one head coaching candidate on the market. Like immediately when that happened, number one on all these. But like I want the doll. I want the Bears to hire him. Bears apparently have an interview with him too, uh, so that's exciting. But. That's how you know you know you screwed up is when you fire a guy <laughs> immediately. First thing, oh yeah, everyone else wants him. Hmm, might want to reconsider that. Like they're, they're, you think the Bears organization's bad? The, the Dolphins front office they got some things to reconsider. That, that's what their standard is. And also too, I think another important thing to mention is he's beating Nick Saban. He has a winning record against him. He's four and two against or, not Nick Saban. Excuse me. He's four and two against Bill Belichick. Greatest coach in football, and is one of his assistants. Usually the assistants that play against Bill Belichick they get smoked. I mean, you see the same thing with Nick Saban in college all the time. Assistant coaches tend to not do well against the head coaches because they're trying to copy things. Brian Flores had no problem beating him. Four and two. Against the best coach in football. That's telling. His players play hard for him. You look at the reaction they had when he was fired. They made a big mistake. Some team is going to get a steal with Brian Flores. And, you know, I understand, like, you know, yeah, there's some disagreements, but that's no reason to fight. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't think they could work for it. There's a lot of insecurities there in that front office. That's what they're telling me. Because they didn't like... They, so that's, that, you know, good luck to them. A, a team that's even in a worse spot right now is going through all the coaching jobs. I was trying to pick which one I thought would be the best. Out of all the coaching vacancies right now, I think the best situation is probably Denver. They got a lot of draft capital. They have a decent amount of cap space. They got a lot of pieces in place, too. And Williams looks good. They got two good running backs. They got a lot, plenty of read wide receivers. Fans a solid tight end. Their, their secondary was great last year. Patrick Sertain's turning into a top 10 corner. Um, you know, you got Trubb as an edge rusher. All the pieces are there except for a quarterback. So I'm a head coach. That would be the number one destination on my list. Actually, the Bears are up there, too. I would put Bears to probably number two on that list. Uh, and I'm saying this non-biasly, but, I mean, you got a young, talented quarterback, Justin Fields. That's intriguing for any head coach. They do have a lot of cap space, too. Uh, they're shedding a lot of their old guys. So, I mean, that's another intriguing one. And you get a charter franchise in Chicago, big market. So, I think that would be number two. By far the worst job, though. And I think it's going to be interesting to see who they get uh, is the New York Giants. I don't know who would want to do that job. I mean, Joe Judge did a one. And Dave Gettleman did a one around that thing. I mean, Joe Judge is getting all the criticism, which, I mean, he should. He wasn't very good. I mean, ran a QB sneak on third and nine. The memes were phenomenal. But as much flag as you're giving him... Uh, who is he really working with, especially when Danny Dimes got hurt? I mean, that team's not very good. Dave Gettleman did a horrible job. His mistakes are going to cost him the next couple years. They got no cap space. They have a really expensive defense, and that defense stinks too. No talent there. No quarterback, really. 
Daniel Jones, maybe, but you know, are you winning many games with Daniel Jones? I don't think so. That team is screwed, <laughs> like New York fans. <laughs> Have fun with the. And I, honestly, I think the Jets are in a better position the next five years going forward than the Giants are right now. That Giants team stinks. Like, Saquon Park, that's a, good luck. Get out of there while you can. This is football purgatory right now. I mean, even against the Bears, like, and we talk on a weekly basis how inept the Bears are. It's a bumbling franchise full of a bunch of boobs in that front office, poor play calling, and they mauled the Giants. Like, they, you know, so it can always be worse. <laughs> just think about it. It can, be, can always be the Giants. Like, that's, that is just an ugly overall situation over there <laughs> right now. All right, I was watching a little basketball this week. We're recording live here in Los Angeles. So I was watching two games last night. Uh, the Bulls, really nice. They had a... Uh, 9 o'clock start in Chicago Central Time, which is perfect for me. 7 o'clock start over here uh, in Los Angeles. So watching the Bulls and the Nets, and then I was watching uh, the uh, Kings versus the Lakers as well. And there's two guards uh, I would like to talk about, both separate situations. Uh, we'll get into both of them in a second. First one I want to talk about, Russell Westbrook here. We talked about him a little bit two weeks ago. Last night was a perfect example of why Russell Westbrook was never an he should have never won an MVP. I mean, actually, this whole season is an example of why they should never won an MVP. Lakers right now they're a game over five hundred. They're probably going to lose to the Nuggets tomorrow night, so they're going to be five hundred, and I believe they're probably going to lose to the Jazz Monday night too. So I know in two games there's a real chance they're going to be game under five hundred with three future Hall of Famers in the team. Arguably four if you consider Anthony Davis a Hall of Famer. At this point, I don't, but three Hall of Famers on the team. There's talent there. They should not be this bad. I know they're old and everything. But Vegas had them as one of the front runners in the Eastern Conference. Uh, or the Western Conference, excuse me. Before the season. And now they're struggling. That they might not even make the playoffs. And their big upgrade this year was Russell Westbrook. Point guard, ball handler, quarterback of the offense. He doesn't elevate anyone. This guy drags teams down. That's why I think that... That we everyone was so blinded by the triple doubles they don't realize and they, honestly can you really blame Russell Westbrook because what Russell Westbrook has been this year is better what he's been pretty much every year he was never a good three-point shooter now he's in a slump so now you're really seeing he, he's a combined eight for 40 in his last three games but he has little to no self-awareness he cannot shoot he continues to chuck up threes despite the fact he cannot shoot a three-pointer like if I was him I would just be attacking the 10 you know kick out occasionally you can shoot the occasional midnight but this man cannot shoot threes he's never been able to shoot threes he drove Durant out of town like, this is what we've been seeing everywhere. I think no one really cared about him in Washington when he was with the Wizards because they were irrelevant. Who, who made the last Wizards game you watched when they weren't playing your favorite team? You think about that for a second because you can't. No one cares about the Wizards. That's why no one get, like no one watching him here. But what he's been doing on the Lakers has been what he's been doing everywhere else. He's just been on a long shooting, shooting storm. He does not elevate anyone on his team. He's a very selfish player. He's all about him. He doesn't play much defense with the Lakers need. Apparently, he wasn't willing to play off the pick and roll from a couple reports. Uh, he doesn't seem very coachable. He lacks self-awareness. I mean, and this is why he has no trade. Everyone's like, oh, they should trade Russell Brock. Why would you want to trade for him? I think it's very telling the fact that, number one, teams don't want to trade for him. There's been little to no interest anywhere. The 76ers were trying to get rid of Ben Simmons. I think at this point, you could probably trade him for half a jar of mustard pickles. They don't even want to trade him for Westbrook. Well, part of it's that bloated-ass contract. Thanks, LeBron, with the <laughs> great GMing skills there, bringing to Russell Westbrook. But, I mean, yeah. And I actually, I, I said this last year too, everyone would make Schroeder the scapegoat because he played poorly in the playoffs, but I would take Dennis Schroeder over right, right over Russell Westbrook right now because he can shoot. 
But like what you've seen here is like why he should have never been an MVP. He doesn't elevate anyone at all. He drags him down. And this year is exactly like his stink is all over this team. And I, you can't really rate him because he's just been what he's always been. And it's kind of, it's, it's depressing to see. All right. The other team, the other, the other, uh, the other guard I want to talk about is Kobe White with the Bulls and the popular sentiment among Bulls fans. And they got waxed by the Nets last night. So now even more so everyone's like, Hey, they need an upgrade. They got to get another front court piece. Which I understand. Kobe White is the big trade piece everyone wants to talk about. They go, hey, we have IO. IO is the insurance policy. Uh, and, you know, apparently there was another report that came out. The Bulls are open to trading Kobe White. They do not want to trade Patrick Williams. I think trading Kobe White would be a mistake, especially this season. Let me explain something. Everyone loves IO. I love IO too. IO is a great rookie out of Illinois. But at this point, which might surprise some of you, Kobe White is younger than IO DeSumo. Which means, at this point in time, uh, a couple years ago, well, when Io was still in college figuring it out because he wasn't good enough to get drafted, Kobe White was getting drafted and he was averaging 15 points a game in the NBA. So he's still very young. He entered the league very young. He's still got room to grow. He's younger at Io at this point. Which means he was more talented as a rookie. I mean, this year, if you look at his numbers, a lot of it needs context, too. Came into the season thinking he's going to be a starting point guard. They trade for Lonzo Ball. So now all of a sudden he has to adjust, reassess his role. Then he gets shoulder injury. He has to have shoulder surgery. Come back rehab from that. So he missed a bunch of time during the offseason. Then, just as he's trying to get acclimated with his new teammates, he gets pwned in COVID protocols. So now he's starting to find his groove all of a sudden. And everyone's like, well, he's just getting hot at the right time. He's a trader. No, this is the player Kobe White is. He's always been this way. Now he's just starting to find his rhythm. Like, if you look at his past couple games, he's shooting over 60% from three-point land. He's averaging 17 points a game. And that's what you need. Good teams need shooting. Like, look at the Warriors. In the NBA, you can never have enough shooting. I guess the Lakers, if they were like a Kobe White right now. Of course they would. Man's been excellent. He knocks down threes. He can get hot off the bench quickly. Like, that's the perfect bench player you can have. In scores, or always, you always need scores. You always need ball handlers. And that's what he does. Not only that, he can get to the rack. He can score over the mid-range. But like I said, he's a knockdown shooter. He was one of the few bright spots in that game against Brooklyn last night. And everyone's like, oh, we need front court help. We need front court help. Yeah, I'm sure they do. They need a rim protector. But everyone's Jeremy about Grant. I think you can get front court help without having to deal with Kobe White. Because everyone wants Grant, which is great, but Grant, you really think he's going to come in to a team that already has two primary scorers with DeRozan and Levine and Vooch, and he was just the man with the Pistons. How do you think he's going to mesh with that team? I don't even know where you put him. Would you start him? Would you put him on the bench? The man's a borderline all-star. Where are you going to put him? I don't think that's a good fit whatsoever. What you need is a rim protector, a guy that can play strictly defense. And also, as far as his front court help goes, when's the last time you're like, oh, yes, this big, big man really transform like look at the last couple finals last year who had the best big man in the series in the, in the nba finals the suns with deandre Aiden. look how that worked out for him like the big men don't win in the nba anymore like the great big man era is dead you need shooters and perimeter players that's what wins games like sure you do need the occasional center but like they don't need the, a player of grant's caliber they just need another rim protector which you can find and if they didn't get one, I don't think it'd be the end of the world because you get Patrick Williams coming back later next year. You're really going to trade Kobe White? He's not reached the ceiling yet, folks. Like, he's not. He can get hot at some moments of notice. He can shoot the lights out. He's the only rookie to ever have seven three-pointers in a quarter. And that was when he was at the age of 19. He's very coachable. Billy Donovan called him a winning player. There's a game on New Year's when DeMar DeRozan hit that buzzer beater. After the game, you know what DeMar DeRozan said? Yeah, we don't win that game without Kobe White in his 24 points and six or seven from shooting. That's the type of player you need especially come playoff time. Do not trade this man. The Bulls would be making a huge mistake if they did.
I, I, I think it's delusional. I, I, I don't understand it why everyone wants to ship them out of town. And I like Io too, but the two can play together too. You, like you can have your cake and eat it too with Kobe and Io because they've been on the floor together. And you know what? The results have been pretty good. I think what you need in the today's NBA besides shooting too is perimeter defenders. And you're going to get your best perimeter defender back with Caruso, too, which is going to help tremendously. That would have helped last night against the Nets. Like, the reason they lost the Nets last night was not because they didn't have a big man. It's because they got picked apart by James Harden most of the game, and a good perimeter defender, like with Caruso coming back, would help tremendously. So that's what I think about that. Uh, Moving on, finally, before we get into uh, free money here in a little bit. And free money, by the way, has been on an absolute heater the last couple weeks now we didn't do it last week we had a week off last week but previous to that we were uh, 11 and 1 we had three perfect weeks in a row 3 and 0 3 and 0 3 and 0 and then we went 2 and 1 uh and the one we missed we kind of got smoked on it was because of the dolphins picked them because of Tua. so you can see why brian flores would be upset i was upset with him too a little rain and Tua couldn't throw the football uh which is you know problematic in miami where it rains a lot and that was the thing that was deterring him so you could see why i'd be frustrated that he couldn't get justin herbert but I digress because it ruined my perfect schedule, so I have a vendetta against 2-2. Two two. But the MVP conversation. Now, Aaron Rodgers, the biggest diva in the league, he was coming out after some journalist uh, who had an MVP vote uh, came out and said he's the biggest jerk in the league, and that's preventing me from voting for him. Like, I, I wouldn't vote for Aaron Rodgers because, you know, he was holding this team hostage during the offseason and the vaccine thing, yada, yada, yada. Should he have said that? No. Do I, do I agree with him? Yeah, but as the voter, you probably shouldn't have said that. Well, Aaron Rodgers, he gets on the Pat McAfee show, and then, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I don't really care about him. I think he's a buffoon, whatever he says. And then he goes on a two-minute rant. So it's like, really, if you don't care, well, you wouldn't want on that two-minute rant. But Aaron Rodgers is going to get, so he's created this narrative that if he doesn't win MVP this year, it's going to be because of, oh, I didn't get the shot, of, I didn't get the COVID vaccine, and all these journalists, they're colluding against me like this guy. Oh, uh, uh. That's ridiculous. I don't think he should win MVP first off. Um, I think the toe thing is a little overblown. But if you look, all the major quarterback stats, you go down the list. He only leads in one, and that's QBR. He doesn't have the most touchdowns, doesn't have the most passing yards, doesn't have the highest completion percentage. Tom Brady owns the majority of those categories, and the other ones are owned by Joe Burrow. I I think Tom Brady at the age of 40 uh, would be a much better MVP candidate than Aaron Rodgers. And honestly, I would dock him points because during the offseason, he was a distraction and caused a sideshow. I mean, winning cures all in the end, but like, I, I think that's a good point. He's always trying to, like, yeah, we, we did the perfect example that we just got thrown here in the chat here. Aaron Rodgers, he loves making himself the victim. He's always a victim, and he's going to make himself the victim if he doesn't win the MVP. I don't think he deserves MVP. I think I would put I would put Tom Brady ahead of him. Actually, my MVP would be Cooper Cup this year, if you look at what he's done. Like, look at the Rams record. He has a triple crown. Uh, nearly broke uh, Randy Moss's receiving yards record. Uh, he, he won the triple crown as a receiver. You look at Jared, the year um, Matt Stafford's had, he owes a big portion of that to Cooper Cup. So I would have I would have Tom Brady won because it's a quarterback award at the end of the day. So Cooper Cup's going to get screwed. I'll put Tom or, uh, Cooper Cup two, then Aaron Rodgers maybe three. That's what, yeah, if I had a vote. So I, I actually think he's going to win, uh, but I don't think he should. And if he doesn't, you know what's going to happen? A lot of victim blaming. Oh, I'm the victim. It's because I didn't get the shot. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not. But he's created this narrative so where he can play victim, which he always does. Patrick Cushman, who's always on the show, <laughs> I mean, he ended down the head. He's always, he always needs to whine about something. He just found his next thing to whine about. I find it amusing. All right, with that, let's get into the segment everyone's been waiting for. Free money NFL wild card edition. Here we go. I'm taking the Buccaneers over the Eagles minus eight and a half right now. Um, usually in a playoff game, that's a lot of points. 
But I'll be honest, I, I don't buy the Eagles. I think they're a product of a very bad division where you get two free wins from the Giants. Oh, they should be free wins. They actually split against the Giants. But nonetheless, I digress. It's a bad division. They're getting free wins. Their strength, the Eagles, is the run game. They have a very good run game. Jalen Hurts helped in that. I actually think Jalen Hurts had a good year. He proved me wrong. I think he's a winning quarterback. That being said, do I trust Jalen Hurts to throw the ball downfield? No. If you take away Jalen Hurts' mobility and the run game, is he that good of a quarterback? No. Uh, what's the Bucks' strength? They dominated against the run. They've been one of the best rush defenses the past two seasons. They are ranked number one in run defense a season ago, and they are third in that category this season. Uh, so they can limit the run. When they faced the Eagles in Week 6, they limited the Eagles to just 213 total yards of offense. Now, they won that game by six, but that was because of two garbage-time touchdowns at the end, and that game was in Philly. This game is at Raymond James Stadium, where the Buccaneers are allowing just 88.4 rushing yards per game this season. So the Eagles aren't going to be able to run the ball. Tom Brady's going to be able to throw the ball at will like he's been doing all season. At home this year, he's averaging 310 yards per game, and he's thrown 25 touchdowns to just four interceptions. The Antonio Brown thing was a sideshow, but I think they've shown they can function without him. So I'm taking a box to win big here. Tom Brady's been here before. Jalen Hurts really hasn't. They're not going to be able to run the ball. If you're having Jalen Hurts play catch-up, it's going to get ugly. So Buccaneers in a blowout and taking them uh, minus 8.5. Now it gets a little interesting here. Uh, the, we get two more. You know, with a lot of these games, it's kind of tricky, playoff games. Uh, but I'm pretty confident in these next two. I'm taking the 49ers over the Cowboys plus three. I don't buy the Cowboys. Every time you think they're a contender, they have a, they lay a clunker. Um, they have a lot of white weapons. And the 49ers secondary has some question marks. Now, we're being honest here. But they were able in a do-or-die game last week. They already played basically a playoff game last week because they needed to win to get in. So they already have that playoff intensity going, which is going to roll in. But the Cowboys are playing a team of backups. So I think that's going to work in the 49ers' favor. And last week, they picked off Matt Stafford twice and held him to 238 yards, which usually is pretty good. But when you're facing a prolific offense like that, I'll take it. I mean, their secondary did their job. They held up against who I think should be the MVP, Cooper Cup. They have Odell Beckham. They held them in check. I think they can keep the Cowboys in check. Nick Bosa, they want to win this game. He's going to need to get off the pat, get uh, get to the passer, uh, and he's done that well this season. This season, he has 15 and a half sacks, 21 tackles for a loss, uh, which is first in the NFL, and four forced fumbles. So I think he's going to be able to get off the get to the passer, which will offset the bad secondary. Fred Warner, he's also been great against the run. This 49ers defense should be able to neutralize Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott in general. The 49ers are only allowing four yards per carry which is uh, fifth in the NFL. They're only allowing also 103.5 yards per uh, game. So very good. Red Niners, 49ers red zone offense, too. First in the NFL. This game is going to come down to the red zone. 49ers are actually very good in the red zone. Devo Samuel, he's turned into an elite all-around weapon. He's kind of a better version of Cordero Patterson. He has seven rushing touchdowns in his last eight games. He's elite. The Cowboys are going to need to come up with an answer for them. I don't think they will. And I think a lot of these guys, you know, Diggs gets all this these uh, props and whatnot, and Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is a stud, but I think Diggs, he gets a lot of these interceptions because he's targeted a lot because he's not very good. You know, he can be a ball hawk, which is great. But I think Jackson was a ball hawk for a year, and people kind of figured him out because, you know, you can read the eyes or whatnot. And look how many picks he's had these past couple seasons. I think he can take advantage of Diggs. Like, he's having a good year with all the interceptions. Uh, I think he's a little bit fraudulent. Jimmy G, as much crap as he gets, too, he's averaging 8.5 yards per attempt. He's nearly a 70% completion percentage. He's got 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I think he can. he's been in a Super Bowl before. He's been in the playoffs before. He knows what it takes at this point. 
better coach, too, over Mike McCarthy. The Cowboys secondary, they gave up big plays. They're allowing 11.8 yards per catch, which is 29th in the NFL. So I, all of this together, I'm taking the 49ers getting points against the Cowboys. Don't really buy them. I think the coaching is the major key there. But, uh, yeah, I will, I, will, I will take the points with the 49ers. Finally, Rams over the Cardinals. Minus four games in Los Angeles. Well, I think the home field advantage helps in the last two times these teams met. So they split the season series uh, in the regular season. The last two times these teams met, uh, the difference was the Rams had Von Miller, which really helped Aaron Donald. I think it opened him up a little bit. He had three sacks that last game, three tackles for a loss, and three hits against the Cardinals. Uh, so I think Von Miller's presence helped a lot. And say what you want about Matt Stafford, he's slinging it this year. Yes, he leads the league in interceptions, but I will take his touchdown-interception ratio. He's got 41 touchdowns and 102.9 passer rating. Also, he has 8.1 yards per attempt, so that's a lot. They're giving him a clean pocket, too. They're only allowing 31 sacks this season. Uh, the pass defense has been good, and I think when you have a guy like Jalen Ramsey, he can neutralize Hopkins enough. Uh, they're fifth in opponent quarterback rating. They've only allowed four QBs to get a 100-plus rating. In 17 games, that's excellent, especially in today's NFL. And Murray got sacked five times against Seattle. So now he's facing Miller, Floyd, and Donald. Have fun with that on the road. I mean, and this Cardinals team is good. They're, they're talented. But have they really done anything to prove themselves this season? Like, name a big game they've won these past couple years. Hell, even last year down the stretch, when they the Bears had no business making the playoffs, and the Cardinals kind of imploded down the stretch. Like they, they they don't they don't show up in big games. They've shown they've done nothing to prove where hey I should trust them in a big game. Minus four uh, I think is enough because I think the Rams can win by more than touchdown, especially at home. So I will take the Rams minus four. So to recap, I'm going 49ers over the Cowboys plus three. Take the points. I'm taking the Buccaneers over the Eagles minus eight and a half. And we are taking the Rams over the Cardinals, minus four. There you have it. Those are the free money picks this week. The game I'm most excited about, actually, is going to be the Raiders and Bengals. I, I I really like this Bengals team. They're a fun team to watch. Um, I don't think they're as good as everyone says they are. Everyone's saying they're Super Bowl contenders. I don't think so. I mean, and then you got a Raiders team that's playing with house money. They got Darren Waller back, though, too. That's just a fun story. So that's going to be a game I'm very excited to watch. Didn't really want to touch that one, though. That, that's kind of a crap for betting. Betting in the playoffs is always more difficult, so tread lightly. But we're on a heater right now, so hopefully we can keep it rolling. Um, yeah, We'll see how it goes. But that is all we have for you. Enjoy your football Sunday, uh, Saturday, too, and Monday. we got three days of football, the first ever Wild Card Monday game coming up, so that should be fun. But there you have it. I'm Mitchell Kaminsky. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day.